Major support for Out to Lunch provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937, now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support for Out to Lunch from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank and Resource Management, Inc. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're Out to Lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Once a week, I have lunch at Commander's Palace and invite guests from the world of New Orleans business to join me. There's probably an NPR manual somewhere about how to make a radio show, but we've never seen it. And I'm sure there's a tried and true method of how to book guests, which combination of people works best. But we do it the New Orleans way. We find people we'd like to have lunch with and then come up with some sort of brilliant justification to build a show around them. Today, we've come up with the most brilliant justification of all time. My guests have something very unusual in common. Michelle Seiler Tucker is the author of a book called How to Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth, my other guest is the founder and principal of a company called Worth More Realty. What are the chances of more than it's worth meeting Worth More? It's only on Out to Lunch. Michelle Seiler Tucker, Tracy Moore, welcome to Commander's Palace, and thank you for joining me on Out to Lunch today. Thank you. Thank you. Sales are basically the foundation of all businesses. No matter how good your product or service, you, if you can't sell it, you don't have a business. Uh, Michelle and Tracy, you spend all day, every day, focused on aspects of selling. So we have a unique opportunity here today to talk to both of you about this fundamental skill. I'll, I'll start with Michelle. Um, you've literally written the book on selling. Your specialty is selling businesses. A lot of what you talk about is not strictly the act of closing a sale, but doing the hard work it takes to build a business so that it is thriving enough to make it attractive to a buyer. One of the elements of that attractiveness is the ability to predict that the business will continue to grow after the buyer buys it. We're used to hearing the standard warning, past performance is no guarantee of future earnings. So we know that we're not strictly buying facts. It seems that when we buy something, anything, we're often buying hope. We hope our purchase will make us richer, happier, look thinner, or whatever. Um, how much of selling in general, in fact, is selling hope? Well, you know, when my clients buy a business, hope is great, but I really want them to buy a business that has a proven track record of years of experience, and in most cases, businesses that I sell, decades of experience. And we have, most of my businesses have solid management teams in place. They have a great customer base. They have congruent revenue streams. So unless a buyer goes in there and totally disrupts the way that the business is currently doing business, in most cases, my buyers will be very successful at the business that they purchase. Well, then you brought up an important point. Do you, when you, when you make an acquisition, do you replace the management, the current owners, or do they stay on? What do you recommend? You know, it really depends. In most cases, I always tell my buyers, don't fix what's not broken. Keep the management there. My PEGs, my private equity groups, they absolutely will not buy a business unless the management team stays on. So management is crucial. Most sellers want to make sure that they're leaving their baby in good hands and they want to stay on for that transition. They want to make sure their employees are taken care of. They want to make sure their customers are taken care of. And they want to make sure that their business lives on. Do you, do you usually keep the name? Yes, absolutely. The name is part of the goodwill. 
Absolutely. In all the years I've been selling businesses, I will say maybe once or twice, a buyer did not want to keep the name, but the name is part of the goodwill. Wow. And, and it's the intellectual property. That is absolutely. And tell me, uh, and, me, and if a business has great name recognition and great brand awareness, then we can get that business a lot higher multiple than if they don't. And it's, it is tough because I mean the valuations are different industry by industry. And absolutely, yeah. it's not one size fits all. <laughs> and Tracy, uh, you sell houses. That's an extremely personal and emotional transaction, as well as frequently being the biggest financial transaction a person will enter into in their lifetime. I'm sure there's a great deal of your job that puts you in the role of psychologist. Uh, reassuring anxieties, helping the client find a happy home. But how much of your job is focused on the other party in the sale? By that I mean we hear that a good sale is when both parties walk away happy. Uh, do you feel as a salesperson dealing in these major lifetime transactions that you have a responsibility to both parties to be happy or do you focus solely on your client? Uh, I think that the smoothest transaction that occurs for both sides is is everybody's happy that way. And that's why when you have good realtors and they work together to get the deal to the closing table as smoothly as possible, eliminating hur hurdles along the way. And I think that makes it, you know, makes it easy and, and nobody knows. And that's you, know. you and the other realtor mainly. It's yes, right, it's, uh, yes. That's what a lot of people don't Unless you're get. working both sides, but yeah. And then, you know, you are kind of making both sides of that transaction happen and everybody happy. But Seems like as a country, we've forgotten how to do win-win situations. And Washington's a good example of, a, of a no, nobody being able to do this any, any <laughs> longer. Uh, well, uh, you decided to go out on your own. Was it scary going out on your own? Because, I mean, it would have been an easier thing to go with an established firm. What was, what was not, it was scary, scary telling my broker also <laughs> that I was uh, leaving, but um, I did it in July before Katrina. Uh, I don't think, and uh, had uh, Katrina hit, I would have done it after Katrina. I would have been too scared to be on my own. You've had a series of really well-timed things. You were in New York during 9-11. Yes. And then you came, started your own shop just before Katrina. Right. I assume you did something for the BP oil spill. They, uh, <laughs> I don't know. They, uh, it's, uh, but it's all, it's all worked out. Yeah, it has. It has all worked out. Um, and I love what I do. So. Well, now, t tell me about the market here. And, uh, you know, we hear nationally that the... The housing market probably bottomed this summer somewhere. It seems to be getting its footing back. But New Orleans, I always thought economically, it's like living on Pluto, right? It has nothing to do with uh, how we do it. Well, we're doing great. Um, prices are really high. Um, there's not a lot of supply. It's a seller's market. Um, properties are going on the market, and then there's multiple offers over asking um, if you price it right. And we didn't have the boom, so we didn't really have the bust, plus we had the Katrina dollars, so we're, we're going strong. You know, it's funny, when, yeah, I wanted to have you both on the show as sellers because uh, I teach at Tulane, and students, generally young people, you, sometimes they have a kind of a, they back off against, against selling. They don't think that would be the, the career move for them. But one of the things I tell them is whether they're going to Wall Street or wherever they are, you're always selling. I don't know why they, you know, unless you're that kind of geeky guy in the in the cubicle somewhere. I mean, it's if you can't sell, you don't make it. And that seems to be where the the good money is, too. I mean, uh, did you, what did, how did, Michelle, how did you start getting into into sales? Was it, did it feel natural or were you coming out of some it, other business? It felt, I, I went to nursing school, <laughs> but um, it felt absolutely natural. I love to help people and I love to help people obtain what they truly want in life. 
And I worked at Xerox. I had 80 people underneath me at wow, Xerox. Wow, that's supposed to, it's one of the, it's supposed to be a great training program, right? Yes, yes, and it is, it's, it's fabulous. And I worked at Xerox for several years, but I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I knew I always wanted to be in sales because I love to create that win-win for my clients. And that's when I went into franchise sales, franchise consulting, franchise development. And then soon after that, that's when I started selling businesses. But for me, it's not a hardcore sales career. It's more of a consultant sales. I'm educating my sellers how to turn their business around, how to increase their revenue, how to improve um, uh, their business and create a business that works for them rather than working for it so we can sell that business for maximum value. And the same thing on the buyer side. We're, we're educating them on the benefits of buying a business. So it's more of a consultative sales. Right. It's not, it I, I think a, you know, people tend to focus on that transaction at the end, right. but it's much more than that. And like you said, Peter, we're all salespeople. I mean, we sell our, our spouses on what we need them to do. We sell our children on what we need them to do. That's and, how we found our spouses, uh, right? Yeah, well, a, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that, make, that makes sense. And, um, um, you know, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions in here that we like to, we call it the checklist, but it, it's questions you probably wouldn't get on a loan application, but it's going to make you th more 3D to our, to our listeners. And um, I will start out, I'll start out with Michelle on it. And I'm just going to say, if you, um, first of all, how many days of Jazz Fest do you go to every year? I, you know, if it wasn't for my husband, I would go every single day, but he chooses to only go one day. I love Jazz Fest and it, it's probably my favorite festival. I, unfortunately, I go one day. Really, but this Sometimes is all because of your days. husband, so this can this all be worked out. This is all because out. of my husband, right? All right, okay. Yeah, so I just have to become a better salesperson, right? Yes, that's all. <laughs> that's really what it is. You've got to sell your husband on Jazz Fest. And, and, what, and what about you? Do you go out? I I would go every day if I could. I get the brass pass so that I oh. can come and go um, easily if I have to show a house, and I don't mind being late. So um, the parking is the problem with the brass pass. You can't come and go park wherever That's you want. That's right. Yeah. But otherwise, no, I, I'd go every day if I could, and I'd go <laughs> as many days as I can. <laughs> and I'll, uh, Tracy, what's your, what's your biggest extravagance? Uh, Is there something you tend to spend money on that... A clothes, maybe. Yeah? Yeah. There's a, you don't have like a 12 Harleys or something like that in the backyard? No, I would buy an, uh, an International Scout as okay. a car. <laughs> it's a second car. One <laughs> that day. would be your extravagance. Yeah, but not, yeah, nothing more extravagant than that. Okay, okay. Michelle, is there s now, I, I know you like to travel. What, what, what is your extravagance, though? I would say travel. We just came back from Tahiti, a two-week trip in Tahiti. Um, clothes, uh, like, like Tracy. Also, I pour a lot of money back into my business. We franchised our company, so we now have 50 locations throughout the United States. So my biggest extravagance is probably my business as well. And are you both at the stage where you're still pouring money back into the, the business? Um, not so much, just, you know, maintaining and... Yeah, I just did a little upgrade to the office with more desks and file cabinets and that kind of thing. But so no, it just mostly uh, marketing costs and. Yeah, and, and I'm not pouring money back into the business because right. the business is very successful. We're expanding on a yeah. national level. And uh, let me ask you both: How do you? Um, first thing people ask about selling is, you know, where do you find your clients? How do you? How do you do it? I'll start with you, Tracy. Where is it advertising? It's a, uh, after you're doing this for a while and you get good at it. It's referrals is mostly. Um, what I get my most of my business from referrals from other previous buyers. So another reason to have a happy, smooth transaction because then they want to refer you. So you're only as good as your reputation, I guess. Yeah, and your that. last deal? No. Last deal? No. That's <laughs> no. That's <laughs> but you do have a reputation. You to do, hold and, and that's very important. Yeah, it's key. That is great. And, wh and what about yourself? Where, now this is even more complicated. We know, you know, there's a market for real estate, but yours is even. 
tougher in some sense. Where do you find the buyers? Well, mine themselves? is more difficult because unlike Tracy, mine is confidential. Uh, the sellers are paranoid about their employees, customers, competitors, finding out that their business is for sale. So it's very hush-hush. But like Tracy, I've been in business for a very long time. So the majority of my business comes from referrals. Um, also, I've just wrote the book, Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth. So that's a huge lead generator as well. I do speak on stage across the country. And I generate, I speak on stage with Eric Trump, um, Kathy Ireland, Mayor Giuliani, so that brings us clients as well. Uh, I have agents too, and we have, like I said, 50 offices throughout the United States. So just a combination of, of the book, referrals. Um, we have multiple websites, so we do SEO, um, search engine optimization. Okay. We have direct mail campaigns as well. Now, tell me, when you, you mentioned um, uh, th that part about the referrals and such, but you mentioned the part that got me in that conversation a little earlier was that you talked about the sellers not wanting people to know that they're, because yes. I mean, that, that's kind of, yes. like in real estate, know you're for sale, right? In real estate, the motto is the more, you the more people you tell, the more houses you sell. In my industry, it's just the opposite. We have to be very discreet. Um, we have to be, it's very proprietary, and every buyer has to go through a process where number one, they have to sign a confidentiality agreement. They have to qualify from a financial standpoint. And in and some you have cases, to sign that too, right? I mean, that's, well, of course, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And in some cases, like we have 20 million, 30 million, 40 million dollar listings. And that process is very discreet all the way through until the seller is comfortable with that particular buyer. So if I see you with someone, uh, in a little coffee house in the French Quarter with dark glasses in the corner, you're probably working you, on some you, deal. You won't see me there because people have to go to my office because people like you might be looking for oh, me to yeah, see what yeah. I'm with. Yeah, like when I travel, I'm always looking at luggage tags trying to find out stories. Like that's a that's a good way to go. <laughs> We're gonna take a look at our inbox now. That's when our producer uh, picks a question that's come in from a listener uh, over the past week. Uh, Grant, what have you got? Peter, this question touches on what you guys were talking about just a moment ago. It comes from S.B. Vander Willig. And he or she asks, how much does the culture of New Orleans determine the health of the real estate or economy in general? We keep defining ourselves by Mardi Gras and Jazz Fest. It's the two biggest things we have going. Is that good for us or is that getting in our way? Yeah. Tracy, you want to start? I think it's all part of the reasons people want to move here. I think they come down here for a visit and they love it and they love all the festivals and food and fun and they want to be a part of that, not just on a yearly basis you know, once a year. They want to get a, an apartment, want to buy a house, want to so, move here. So keep that going. I that, think that so, absolutely. Best, uh, I mean, so many people come here and uh, they don't want to go home. <laughs> and the other thing that I always say is what Las Vegas people say, you know, what happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas and what happens in New Orleans gets talked about over and over and over and over <laughs> and over again. Like the lights going out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Super yeah. Yeah. People still talking <laughs> and about the good it. Stuff. Oh, what? Now, Michelle, what about yourself? You, you, when you look at the businesses here, is it, is it, is it more than Mardi Gras and Jazz Fest? How do you tell them about what else New Orleans Absolutely. offers? Absolutely. You know, Peter, you came down here, I think you said 30 years yeah. ago, to go to Tulane. Right. You're still here, aren't you? Right. Yeah. So why are you here? Jeez, I don't know. They, uh, <laughs> they won't have me back. I think it's a <laughs> so it absolutely is more than Mardi Gras and Jazz Fest. I don't think people move to a city just because of two festivals. People move here because of the business climate. People move here because uh, of the hospitality. People move here because it's a great place to, to um, start a business, to buy a business, to raise a family. Let me interrupt you with that. Has that gotten better? Um, is it a better business environment than it was 
let's say pre pre Katrina? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, you know, some of your best entrepreneurs, like Al Copeland, came from New Orleans, and that's just to name one. I could name more, um, but some of your best entrepreneurs came from Louisiana, and, and not just New Orleans, but the Bayou region as well. I think Forbes uh, just named us number twenty-nine in in December and best place to go for business. Right, and we're, I guess we're number one in the country for uh, young entrepreneurs. We've got all this brain gain coming in, and uh, yeah, so I, I guess it's, uh, people are starting to understand this, I think. Well, and I think the other thing about New Orleans is the people here. That makes you want to come back, <laughs> makes you want to stay. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, if you look at the business climate, I have offices throughout the United States. We have some of the best listings right here in New Orleans, Louisiana. Really? For, for And there's a reason why we're getting hundreds of buyers every single month from around the country because they want to come here. Well, you are in the right place at the right time. Absolutely. <laughs> We're going to take a look at our lunch money. Uh, lunch money is our out-to-lunch stock portfolio. Uh, we're building a portfolio of stocks chosen each week by our guests on the show. A um, couple of things, we list them on the, on the website. Uh, we've had some interesting times here. Obviously, the stock market is at an all-time high on the Dow Jones Industrial Average, so things generally are going, uh, are going pretty well. I'll, I'll, start with, um, I'll start with Michelle. Uh, what stock do you want to put into our portfolio? You know, um, I've always told people, instead of buying stock, buy a business. Okay. <laughs> However, I do have a great, uh, terrific financial planner, and one of my top stocks is Coca-Cola. And what do you like about them? You know, first of all, the C CEO of Coca-Cola, James Lafferty, gave me a great testimonial for my book. So I like <laughs> well, it for that okay. reason. Right, But sure. I'm also drinking Diet Coke as we speak. Oh, yeah, it's and, all working. You know, there's, there's five different levels in the branding chain, and brand absence is where 95% of businesses land is in brand absence. But Coca-Cola is in brand assistance. I insist to drink a Coca-Cola. Explain the brand absence versus insistence That again. means that people don't know who you are. And so you move from brand absence to brand awareness to where people are at least aware of you. And then brand preference where they prefer Coca-Cola over Pepsi and then brand insistence where they insist that they drink Coca-Cola and brand advocacy is where they say have a Coke. Right, right. <laughs> they, and, and they tell everybody else to buy your, your products and services. So Coca-Cola is one of the best brands out there. It's worth $180 billion, $189 billion dollars and they sell about $48 billion annually. And of course they're much more than Coke. They have they're $17 billion dollars in cash and they owe no debt. Yes, that would be a good thing to have. Yes, I'm I'm Absolutely. pretty aware 17 billion in cash is a good thing. And There's it's one a, of Warren Buffett's picks too. It by is. The way. It it's is. In fact, uh, when we went out to visit with him, uh, he made us all drink cherry cokes. That's his. Uh, that's his big thing. And so uh, <laughs> that was my first time trying that. And uh, Tracy, you're gonna. Um, we'd asked you. You, you want to actually have me pick the stock? Is that how we're gonna? Yes, yeah. We're gonna do that. I'm gonna. I'm gonna pick um, a uh, Louisiana company. I'm gonna pick uh, Clico. Clico is the power company for Central Louisiana and St. Tammany Parish. Um, and uh, stock's done really pretty well here, pays a very healthy dividend, and uh, it is a small utility. It's right in between Entergy, which is gargantuan, and Southern Company, which is phenomenally large. And I think at some point, you know, a small utility like this eventually will probably get bought up by one of the two, one of the two companies. But in the meantime, you're doing pretty well sitting there. So that's going to be your, your stock on our, okay. on our list. I've never done you wrong. Okay. So uh, the, you know, we'll have to, <laughs> have to see how that part goes. Tracy Moore, Michelle Seiler-Tucker, I started off the show by saying the art of selling is at the heart of all business. And I think we've learned a lot about 
both the heart and the art today. Uh, you've both carved out successful businesses in very competitive environments and on your own terms. Uh, thanks for the inspiration and thanks for joining me on uh, Out to Lunch today. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Great Thank to you for having us. Great to have you. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Michelle Seiler Tucker, founder and president of Capital Business Solutions and author of How to Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth, and Tracy Moore, founder of Worth More Realty. I'll never get over that combination. Um, to find out more about buying and selling businesses with Michelle or buying and selling houses with Tracy, uh, follow the links on our sites, www.no.org and itsneworleans.com. The show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our web designer and digital guru is Dr. Cliff Brigden. The gregarious Jennifer Smith is our researcher. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can keep up with our continuing adventures in Crescent City Commerce by liking It's New Orleans on Facebook, and you can get in touch with us and sign up for our mailing list at itsneworleans.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. We're at It's New Orleans. To listen to the past shows or get this show as a podcast, go to www.no.org or itsneworleans.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting and WWNO for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. I look forward to meeting you again next week on Out to Lunch around the table here at Commander's Palace. Till then, be well, be safe, be happy. Bye-bye. Major support for Out to Lunch provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937. Now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support for Out to Lunch from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank and Resource Management, Inc.